Oh, it's, uh, it's really, really nice to have people in this room. I'm not going to lie to you that, because uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, the 27th, uh, December 27th, we decided uh, because people had family coming in for Christmas and stuff that we kind of keep everyone home that day. And then January 3rd, we were surprised with eight inches of snow. So at the nine o'clock service on January 3rd, uh, Rob's family was up here in the second row and there was one other person in this room that day. <laughs> and uh, I, I preached and uh, Rob led worship and I preached and afterwards that one person sitting in the back row came up to me and they said, I felt like you were preaching right to me. <laughs> I said, I kind of was. So, in <laughs> um, uh, second service, we had a few more people here, but uh, it, it's good to have people here. Uh, let's go ahead and pray and then uh, we'll get into the sermon. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for his grace as uh, we're continuing on in the origin story series. I just pray that uh, our faith would increase and uh, our trust in you would increase and um, we'd uh, uh, be that city on a hill that Jesus talked about, um, that light that Jesus talked about, and that we would um, show the people around us, our neighbors, what a life of faith looks like. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. There are times where you can just know and see uh, that it's going bad, um, and, and there's no kind of getting around it. It's just going to be bad. I remember uh, five years ago, I think next week or maybe the week after, but five years ago, uh, we took a trip with our family to Disney World, and uh, we were in that happiest place on earth and having a good time, and Cheryl and her sister had uh, purchased for her dad a parasailing experience. And he'd always wanted to do parasailing, and they decided to do that. And Sam was four at the time, four and a half, and we're like, I don't know how that's going to go, if he's really going to enjoy that. There's a lot of waiting and all that. So is there something else we could do? And there were a couple shows that we'd wanted to see that we couldn't get tickets for, or were sold out or whatever, and stuff was available then, uh, the day of the parasailing thing. And so we said, listen, all the rest of the family will go to the parasailing experience, and I'll take Sam with me, and we'll do some of these experiences. And I knew it was going to go bad when he and I were waiting uh, for the bus to go to the happiest place on earth, and the family walked away. And uh, Sam, at four, four and a half, he just kind of had an epic meltdown. And he's crying. He wanted to be with the family. He was stuck with me. I, I, I am family. I don't know that he gets that, but <laughs> I want to be with the family. I am family. All right. Um, and uh, he was really, really upset. And so I kind of dragged him onto the bus. And uh, we're on the bus. I will never, ever forget this. We're sitting in the seat. The stranger is across the way from us. And Sam's really, really upset. And the guy kind of looks me in the eye and he says, today's going to be an awesome day for you. <laughs> and uh, he was absolutely correct in his sarcasm. Uh, it just did not go well. And to be honest with you, uh, it kind of culminated uh, halfway through the day with me having an epic meltdown in Disney World. <laughs> and, you know, people are like, what is that 40-year-old dude's problem, you know? And uh, you have no idea what my problem is, all right? And uh, there are just times where you know it's going to go bad, and that's kind of the tone of our story that really started about a week ago, is it all, it's just starting to go bad. You may remember, if not, let me refresh your memory, that in Genesis 12, we get introduced to Abraham, who's uh, 75 years old and just kind of doing his own own kind of thing, minding his own business, and God shows up to him with a calling and with promises. All right, here it is. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So the call is to Abraham is that he will leave his country, his people, and his father's household. And the promises are, are that God is going to make him into a great nation. God is going to give him the greatness of name. All right, God is going to give him greatness of name. And think about it. I mean, everybody on the planet has heard of Abraham. And blessing for Abraham and his family that will eventually go to the entire world. And you remember the kind of three, at the end of uh, uh, the, the second week of this, the, the three-word phrase that really describes Abraham and I want to describe us when we, when we are called by God to do something are, are these three words. So Abraham went. What a, what a great legacy of faith. So Abraham went. And I want that to be my legacy and I, I want it to be yours as well. And you would think that with a call like that and with promises like that, everything for Abraham would be up and to the right, right? That, that there would be no problems. But last week, we kind of saw the first part of that text. There was a famine in the land. So immediately they get hit with a famine and uh, they end up having to go to Egypt and there's problems associated with that. And, and then now we're starting to see some problems. Remember, Abraham was supposed to leave uh, his country, uh, his, his family and his father's household, and he ends up taking Lot with him. And in this text now, for the next couple texts, we're going to see kind of what a problem Lot is, honestly. That taking along Lot uh, was a major, major issue. And the question becomes, why did he take Lot? What was going on in Abraham's mind that he felt he needed to bring Lot along when God specifically told him uh, not, not to do that? And I think if you'll kind of walk with me a little bit through here, uh, we'll get to the text here in a minute. But I think in Abraham's life, there was a gap. There was a gap between what God had promised in, in the future and what God said was going to be and Abraham's present reality. There was a gap. And for Abraham, the, the gap was centered on him not having children and how on earth is God going to build this nation when I don't even have any kids? It's going to be a pretty small nation. Me and Sarah, right, be a pretty small nation. How on earth is God going to do this? God hasn't even given me any heirs. And he felt this gap between what God said was going to be true and his present reality. Have you ever felt a gap before? You ever felt a gap between what you feel called to what you feel God has promised you and your present reality. Maybe for you, uh, it has to do with children and you feel like God has called you to children, but it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe for you, it's marriage and you feel like God has called you to be married, married but it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe it's a certain career thing or a job thing and you feel you know the, the place that God has called you to, but then you're faced with your present reality and they are just different. You know, in a couple of different ways. Theologically, the Bible describes what we're living in right now as a gap. That we know what God has promised about our future. That someday Jesus is going to return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. And he's going to destroy sin and Satan forever. And we're going to live in a place of perfection. Uh, we're going to live in a place of unmatched beauty. We're going to live in a place that is free of death and disease, disease and pain and problems. There's not going to be any of that. It will be a place where our faith becomes sight. Where we'll see Jesus in all his glory and splendor. That's the promised future but then there's our present reality and there's a gap. And here's the truth uh, for you and it's true for me as well and honestly it's true for Abraham. 
sometimes we don't handle the gap the best. <laughs> Right? When God says, this is your future, this is what I have planned for you, this is my calling on your life, but then this is your present reality, and you're like, how is God going to, I don't even see how God could do this. How is God going to work? How is God going to change my present reality to, give, to, to make his promises come true? And let me tell you something about the gap. It's in the gap that we experience a lot of fear. It's in the gap that we experience a lot of anger. It's in the gap that we are really susceptible to sin. We're susceptible to mistakes. It's in the gap that we're really susceptible to, to discouragement. That this time where you know where God is calling you and you know where you want to be and you think that's where God wants you to be and then your present reality kind of smacks you in the face and you realize that you're facing opposition or difficulty or hardship. It's in this gap that Abraham makes the decision to bring Lot. That, that, that's why I kind of build up to all of that. Is this is how Lot came to be, all right? Um, that, that Abraham decides to hedge God's promises because he doesn't see how God's promises are ever going to be able to come true. He doesn't see how he's ever going to have an heir. He is 75. I know times were different, but that's still a little bit aged to have children even back then. All right? And so he just doesn't see how it's going to be. And he says, I will bring with me Lot. And he would never say it out loud, but I will bring with me Lot. So if God doesn't come through, or if I don't ever get an heir, or if things don't work out the way that I think they should work out, I am guaranteed to have a person through whom the promise could be fulfilled. This is what a lot of scholars believe is Abraham's thinking. Lot is going to be the one through whom the promise is fulfilled. We know that's not true. We know it's going to be Isaac. But Lot in Abraham's mind is the way the promise is going to be fulfilled, and it just doesn't go well. Here's our text. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me and between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives." Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near, uh-oh, near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now, we're going to get to Sodom and Gomorrah in a couple weeks. This sermon's not about that, but that ought to pique your interest, right? That Lot had an opportunity to chose the best richest land, and he says, I want to be neighbors of Sodom and Gomorrah. That sounds like a great plan. So um, I think that there are some interesting things going on in this family, don't you? That for, if you can kind of put on your psychologist cap just for a minute, first of all, the fighting is really interesting because you would think that Abraham would be the one in the position of power in this situation, right? That he's older, he's wiser, uh, the resources tend to be his, the promises were made to Abraham, not to Lot. So you would think that Lot would have this kind of differential attitude toward Abraham, right? 
That even if Abraham was deferring to Lot and say, hey, you choose. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You, you would think that even in that situation, Lot would say, no, no, no. I'm going to defer Abraham uh, to, to you. I'm going to defer to your decision, your wisdom, and your way. At a minimum, I'm going to defer to your resources. But that isn't the case. Why? Well, I think it's clear in the story. I don't know about you. But I think it's clear in the story that some form of entitlement and selfishness had taken hold in Lot. And if I were to make a guess, I would guess, and this is, again, just a guess. The, the text doesn't say this. But if I were to make a guess, I would guess that Abraham fed into this a little bit. That Abraham saw that Lot, the promise was going to be fulfilled through Lot. That Abraham believed the promise was going to be, be fulfilled through Lot. And so Abraham spent a lot of time kind of deferring uh, to Lot. And, and Abraham ends up playing into this mindset. You do actually see that in the story where Abraham should be the one making the decision. Abraham should be the one making the choice, but he gives it, hands it over. A lot of people would say, puts the promise in jeopardy by absolutely handing it over to Lot and and allowing him to make the choice. And and one of the lessons here, entitlement is a really dangerous attitude to have. It, It really is. Selfishness is a really dangerous attitude to have. Let's define it just for a minute. Entitlement is an attitude that, uh, an attitude that feels like you are owed or entitled to someone else's efforts, stuff, or resources. There's actually a lot of examples of kind of Lot-esque entitlement in the Bible. Um, Jesus actually tells a story about this. You'll recognize the story right away, but here's a classic kind of New Testament story on entitlement. Jesus considered, uh, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. If you think about entitlement as a first attitude, there are usually secondary attitudes that flow from an attitude of entitlement. A lot of times there's anger, that I'm not getting what I want. There's greed, you see that in the Lot story. There's pride, there's insensitivity. You see that in the parable of the prodigal son, that he's insensitive, that in the first century, essentially what he was saying to his dad is, you're not dying fast enough, give me my inheritance now. Very, very insensitive. He doesn't even uh, see that that's inappropriate. In, In the story of Lot, he doesn't see that the choice really should be Abraham's. Right? That doesn't even appear to occur a lot, that the choice should be uh, Abraham's. He accepts Abraham's deferment to himself, and he makes all the, t- all the decisions. And I think we would all say, at times, uh, we've been the victim of somebody's entitlement. 
Probably all of us in this story, uh, all of us in this room would have a story about that, that someone felt entitled to your job because they were younger or they felt entitled to your resources for fill in the blank or they felt entitled to your life even though you had worked 25 years longer. Entitlement can be really, really off-putting when you see it in others, but I think there's a more urgent question, not is it in others? Bum, 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 right? Is it in me? Do I have an attitude of entitlement or selfishness like Lot displays in this story or or the the younger son or or the older son, uh, the younger son, excuse me, displays in the story of the prodigal son? Is that attitude in me? Are there things I feel entitled to in the people around me? Are there things I feel entitled to with God? If I were in Lot's position and Abraham deferred to me, would I look around and say, oh, that looks lush, that looks good, that looks well-watered, that looks like I could get rich there? I'll take that, Abraham, you have leftovers. Right? Is that in me? Is, is entitlement in me? We had a funny conversation with our nine-year-old the other day as we were talking about the Powerball lottery, uh, Cheryl and I were, uh, that had gotten up to 850 million at the time, I think. The numbers might be a little bit off. I don't know, because I didn't win. Um, and we were talking about the lottery. And the drawing happened to be on my birthday. So I was like, it is a sign. It is a sign. I am about to get rich, right? And uh, so we, we, were just, we were just chatting about it. Cheryl and I were about what we would do if we won. You know, one of those silly conversations that husbands and wives have that about, you know, what are we going to do if we win? There's no chance of you winning, but, you know, although somebody from Michigan apparently did win, so, uh, but that, uh, you know, so we're having this conversation about what we would do with the money, and Sam's in the other room playing Legos, and he hears us, and he comes into the kitchen, and he says, somebody is going to give you millions and millions of dollars? We're like, no, no, it's just a game that people play. We're, we're not going to win. We're, we were just having a conversation. He raises his little finger. And he says, you have to promise me that if you win the lottery, you will give me $1,000 to just spend on myself. <laughs> and I was ready to correct his entitlement. And then I thought about it for a minute, and I said, you know what, Sam? If I win $850 million... I will give you $1,000. I swear on my life, I will give you $1,000 if I win $850 million, And that will be all. Um, <laughs> deal? Deal, right? You know, entitlement, entitlement, right? And honestly, when you feel someone's entitlement or you feel somebody's selfishness and, and you feel victimized by that or hurt by it or impacted by it or just threatened by it, you know what the biggest temptation is? The biggest temptation is to seize your power back. Right? When you feel someone's being selfish in your life, you feel like they're being entitled, you feel like they're trying to get yours at your expense. When, when you feel that way, you're like, no, 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 we're not playing this game. I am taking my power back. I'm paying them back. I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to make things happen, especially when you're living in the gap like, like Abraham was living in. There is a human temptation to say, no, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to take my power back. I'm going to take my wealth back. I'm going to make things happen. And what I find so interesting about Abraham is that he doesn't do that. Right? He chooses a gracious path when, when he sees Lot behaving this way. He chooses the kind path. He recognizes that things are not working in the family 
that the workers are fighting. Abraham and Lot, it appears that they're not even getting along. And remember what Abraham says? He says, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine. We're close relatives. We're family, dude, right? It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And he chooses this kind of generous path. Now, perhaps he still believes that the promise is going to be given to Lot and will be achieved through Lot, but it seems that that is falling apart in Abraham's mind. As a matter of fact, in just a chapter from now, Abraham's going to name a yet different heir uh, to, to the promise outside of Lot. So Abraham seems to be getting that the promise is not going to be fulfilled through Lot, and he chooses grace. And I, what I find so remarkable about it is it is so counter-humanity. That when we feel someone's being selfish, when we feel someone's being entitled, when we feel someone's trying to get their own, our human temptation is to get our own, to protect our interest, to, to protect what we want going forward. And Abraham just chooses the opposite. How do we get there? I want to show you what happens. Uh, because this happens repeatedly throughout the life of Abraham. This one example I'm going to show you, it happens again and again. I'm going to show you two examples of it, but we're going to see it all throughout this series. So he kind of defers to Lot, even though the decision really should have been Abraham's. He defers to Lot and says, to the right, I'll go to the left. Left, I'll go to the right. You, you choose. And Lot kind of chooses the selfish option uh, and uh, ends up being kind of neighbors to Sodom and Gomorrah that, that we'll see in a couple chapters from now. But then as soon as that happens, God comes to Abraham. And let me put this on the screen for you. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. What I love about this so much is that this is what we do with our kids often. Part of our instruction to our children is that we want to remind them, hey, 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 Child, children, we love you. We have a desire to bless you for your good. You can trust us. And God does this with Abraham repeatedly. When Abraham's faith fails, God comes in. When Abraham's faith succeeds, uh, God comes in. It happens so often that God shows up and he says, hey, remember the promise. Remember my grace. Remember that I'm in control. Remember that I have a plan. Abraham, trust me. And God throughout this story is repeatedly showing up. And one of the lessons of the life of Abraham is that he has to learn this lesson, that God is good, that God can be trusted, that he just needs to follow him. And God is repeatedly reminding Abraham, listen, Abraham, look at me, Abraham. You can trust me. I made promises to you, and I don't break my promises. I know, how you, I know you don't see how an heir could ever be. You're 75 years old. I know you don't understand how this is going to come to fruition. I know you can't see it, but trust me. I'm good. I'm gracious. I'm kind. I have a plan. Trust me, trust me, trust me. 
You don't have to protect what you have, Abraham. You don't have to do that. You don't have to get yours. You don't have to choose what is best for you like Lot did. You can be generous, gracious, and kind and just step back and let the God of blessing handle the rest. The story actually continues that Lot ends up, I'm gonna leave this to uh, the next chapter for you to kind of read on your own, but um, Lot settles near Sodom as, as we've kind of talked about and that region ends up getting attacked and captives are taken and Lot is one of the captives taken and uh, Abraham makes the kind of difficult decision. He says, I'm gonna go rescue my nephew I'm going to go in with uh, troops and we're, we're going to get him back. And that's exactly what happens. And then at the very end of the story, this really interesting thing happens. Here it is. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out the bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham saying, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to the God most high who delivered your enemies into your hands. And then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Again, again and again and again. God is showing up to Abraham in his success so he doesn't think the success was his and in his failure so he doesn't think God's done with him because of his failure. In both situations, God is showing up going, I am a God of blessing. I am a God of grace. I am a God who is still in in control. You can trust me. I am going to bring blessing. I still have a plan. I'm still in control. Abraham just needs to do, in the words of the great theologian, Uh, Elsa, the next right thing, right? He just needs to do the next right thing. He doesn't need to help God out by setting up an heir. God is his provider. He doesn't need to be a victim of Lot. God is his salvation. He doesn't need to protect his way. God is his protector. He just needs to learn to trust that God is a God of still. Here's what I mean by that. Still in control still has a plan, still brings blessing. And when you understand that to the core of your being, you don't have to set up your air, you don't have to protect your interests, you don't have to get yours, you don't have to do the selfish thing, you can just do the next right thing, the next faithful thing, the next righteous thing, and allow the God of blessing to be still. Still in control, still with a plan, still bringing blessing. So listen, If there was ever a year of gap, it has been the last year. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're like, man, Steve, what you were talking earlier, I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention 2020 and 2021 before. This has been the year of the gap, that you feel like you know what God has in store for you. You know you feel like the future, uh, you, you know the future that God has in store for you. You know the calling on your life. But then there's 2020, your present reality. And if you were to be honest, this last year, you feel robbed. You feel robbed of certain experiences. You feel robbed of opportunity. You feel robbed of uh, finances. You feel robbed uh, by COVID or others or politicians. You feel robbed this year. You know the temptation is when you feel that way? When you feel that way, the temptation is to fight. It is to take control, it is to get yours, it is to go into protect mode, and the Lord knows that we have seen enough of that in the last year to last a lifetime. People with the attitude, it is time to fight, it is time to get ours, it is time to protect, 
It is, it is time to, to, to take up and, and, and go into protect mode. And that is the temptation to do that when you're, when you're in the gap. That is the biggest temptation. And today I want to remind you, and I want you to have confidence in the still God. That in the gap, he is still in control. You understand that, right? In the gap, he still has a plan. In the gap, he still has a future for him. And today, instead of protecting and fighting and getting mine and, and all of that nonsense that our country's been going through, today I want us to take a collective breath in and rest in him. He's still. He's the God of still. He hasn't lost control of anything. He still has a plan for you. He still does. He still has a future. He still brings blessing. He is the God of still. So be generous. Be graceful. Walk in righteousness. Do the next right thing. And trust him. It is in the gap. This is the hardest thing to trust when you're in the gap. The hardest place to trust that God is a God of still is in the gap. But I am telling you, our world needs to see people that believe that God is still. Our world needs to see this. Our world needs to see people that are calm in their demeanor, that are faithful in their spirituality, and that believe that he is still. He is still. And he is still at work, and he's still bringing blessing, and he's still doing his God of the universe thing, and so I don't have to step in and be that for him. He's still that. So I don't have to step in and be that for him. I can be something else. I can be generous. I can be kind. I can be righteous. I can be calm. And that's who I'm called to be because that's who he is. He is still. I want to receive communion with you together. Um, it's under your chair. And this is one of those moments in history that it appeared that God wasn't still, uh, that, that God was out of control, has his own son hung on a cross, that God didn't still have a plan, that God didn't necessarily know what he was doing. This is a moment in history that looked just like that. And then three days later, in glorious splendor, we were reminded that he's still. No, he, still, he had a plan through the cross. He was working a uh, blessing through the cross. He, he was still uh, God. He was still in control. He still had a plan. And this is, moment is a reminder for us to trust him, to take that collective breath in and to trust because he's still, I can be still. Because he's still, I can be still. So we're going to receive communion together and remember that. I'm going to leave a few minutes for you to just interact with your God and thank him for still being still. That he's still uh, all the things that I mentioned. And you just spend time with him and then I'll close this out and we'll receive communion together. God, Abraham's Abraham's not the only one that needs to learn this lesson about you, that you are still. I need to learn it. We need to learn it. 
And we're on the same kind of journey that Abraham was on. That sometimes our faith holds and sometimes our faith fails. But in each instance, you come to us to remind us that you're still. Still in control, still have a plan, still bringing blessing. The story's not over yet. That you're still working. And so today, we take a collective breath in and we we remember that because you are still, we are still. And we uh, remember Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, and it is a reminder to us that even in that moment in human history, you were still. Never lost control of anything. You were still. May we remember that today, and may we have confidence in it. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. His body given for you. His blood poured out. My prayer for you and for me is that we would leave this place confident. Uh, Not in what's going to happen, not in how circumstances are going to unfold, because we don't know that, but that we would leave confident in our God who is still. And that it would settle and still our hearts, knowing that he is still in control. He still has a plan. He still brings blessing. And so I don't have to do that for myself. God's going to do that. I can walk in righteousness I can be generous. I can be kind. I can choose a different path because he's still. I can be still. So God bless you guys. I truly and genuinely mean it is great to see you. Really, really miss only being uh, together one time uh, since December 20th. So really great to see you. God bless. And uh, we're going to continue on in week five of this series next Sunday. You're dismissed.